Hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 216 for... Wait, I think it's 217 for August 5th, 2023. Starting out hot. must be time traveling. (laughs) Yeah, water, water everywhere. Today we're going to be talking about Baldur's Gate 3 enters top 10. And the mountains came tumbling down. Influencer to be charged. Drilling for geothermal energy. That's no dog. Water temp exceeds 100 degrees. German city deploys snow plows. Panama water levels are lower. Water forever. Circulation collapse. Parkless and unrewarded. It might be my paycheck. And snackless flights landing soon. Let's get into today's shoe. Hello, everybody. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there above me and or below me, because we do have uh, TikTok now formatted. Doesn't stream live, but it is in progress. Stay tuned. Better resolution. Well, better viewport. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the person, the AI, the sentient entity that I'm about to introduce. The one, the only AI. Go for it. Good evening, hometown citizens. I was going to say, I don't know if you were going for a theme, but we definitely have some uh, evidence that there's no climate change. There is no, there's no, no climate change. Yeah, today's episode, the the entire episode is titled Water, Water Everywhere. And the rest of the phrase is not a drop to drink. But let's get into it. I I don't really have much of a preamble today. I mean, the news is the news. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff to play on uh, Twitch and stuff to watch over on YouTube and uh, definitely a ton of content to sift through at hometown.com. Thankfully, it's categorized into six main categories and 50 sub channels under there. I do have another breakout one that's spinning up called hometown gaming that will be in this that will focus on uh, non uh, show based gaming. Um, And so it could come from other people who are gaming and have agreed to um, uh, allow their content to be distributed through hometown as hometown gaming. Um, but most of it in the beginning is going to be Marowat playing games. Like I played Palea today. Um, it's in the VODs here on Twitch, but it's moving over right now to uh, YouTube and it'll be available probably tomorrow morning. If I, unless I can get it done after the show today. Anyway, let's get into our first article. Um, so the very first article is in the Warcrafters channel. Baldur's Gate 3 enters top 10 all-time peak Steam games, knocking Apex Legends out. This is pretty cool. By the way... Everybody that I have seen who's been playing Baldur's Gate 3 have been playing it for 8 to 13 hours at a stint since it started. Not like, well, like for me, I basically play 
for three hours and then I have to take a break and go and do something. Um, usually I get pulled away because of mayoral duties, but there are people that are on Twitch that are playing for upwards of 13 hours. There may be others, but everybody that I have seen, there may be others that are playing beyond 13 hours, right? That just go, go, go. Um, but not, not the people that I've been watching 13 hours at a time. That's a lot of time at one stretch. And they have been told by other players that this is just the tip of the iceberg and they've already put in 40 hours worth of work. Um, and, and there's just, there's more and more and more and more. So it'll be a blast to keep on watching people play. Um, unfortunately, Marwat can't watch them like all the time. Like, uh, you know, like during summer and stuff, I was able to, but 2024 summer stream, summer of stream, I will be streaming a whole lot more. Um, and uh, I am streaming after, um, my mayoral duties. I mean, it's a new fiscal year, so everything has to go back into the office and do work. Um, some of my work is online, but anyway, enough of that jibber jabber. We're talking about Baldur's Gate, great graphics, fun story. Uh, the complexity of the, the game structure is very much dungeons and dragons. And so it has that, um, multitude of skills and abilities and stats and dice rolls and you add stuff and subtract stuff and can be impacted by this, that, and the other, and being knocked prone makes a huge difference. And having some kind of cover is going to have some, uh, impact on your outcomes. Relationships have impact on outcomes. It's amazing. And it all starts with a mind flare, uh, crashing after uh, basically the some of the protagonists end up attacking um, and or getting caught now the protagonist ends up on the, the the this flying ship causing it well they don't cause it to crash but they <laughs> they cause it to stay down that's for sure um, so all kinds of stuff ensue the hilarity ensues but let's go and talk about it at the source Baldur's Gate. Um, this is a PCGamer.com article. Jonathan Bolding is the source. BG the deck statement is BG3 claims the ninth spot just above Goose Goose Duck, um, which I haven't played. Um, I seem to remember it, but anyway, I feel like we might have seen it in hometown previously. Yeah, I'm not sure. So it says uh, the you must be too. You must be this tall to ride bar for the top 10 is now firmly fixed at a peak of over 700,000 players. Don't feel bad for poor Apex Legends. It's merely prestigious 11th spot as the uh, free to play battle royale shooter can wipe its tears upon a giant pile of money and a current player count that the concrete bounded experience of Baldur's Gate surely won't consistently have a year from now. Yeah. The, the, the thing about it is that Apex Legends is is um, a game that draws all of those people regularly to, well, to the yard, right? Apex Legends Milkshake brings all the players to the yard, 700,000 of them. 
Whereas in time, Baldur's Gate 3 will wane as people complete the storyline and just don't want to go back. It's like a lot of people and Diablo 4's whatever season pass stuff. And there's a lot of talk now. People are getting really irritated about season pass. Anyway, Baldur's Gate surpassed 500,000 players yesterday, nearly reached 600,000. And so this Saturday, um, the peak put it uh, a strong uh, 600, well, 100, wait, it says a strong 100, 100,000, wait, 100,000, a strong 100,000 people uh, up from that peak. So uh, 700,000 people, 712,281 players on August 5th. According that's a to lot Steam of DB. people. Yeah. That's more than the state of Wyoming. <laughs> well, Wyoming doesn't really like um, tech, apparently. Uh, well, you know, I don't know about all tech, but if y'all are out there in Wyoming and listening to this, you might want to talk to your uh, government leadership about tech. Anyway, if you think that this peak will be the last for Baldur's Gate 3, that could well be wrong. Monster hit Elden Ring, didn't hit its 953 peak. So 953,000 people playing Elden Ring as a concurrent player count until the weekend after its launch weekend. Uh, really weird. Um... That's weird. Something just happened with my mixer. Anyway, um, enough of that. Let's keep on going. Um, that kind of word of mouth will be helped by the stories people are already telling about Baldur's Gate 3. You've got D&D micro celeb and voice actor Matthew Mercer building box towers to circumvent a wall. Uh, you've got reams of vital Forgotten Realms underpants lore. You've got a dedicated... Um, <clears throat> noises, voice actor. I, I'll just skip. I'll skip what that says. There's something going on with my mixer. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, there's something really weird going on with my mixer. Um, okay. So let me try and get back on track here. I think that it's going to continue to grow. Baldur's Gate 3 is going to continue to grow. We'll see where it ultimately ends up. Let's keep on going through the rest of today's articles. And doo -doo 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 -doo. come on. I don't know what's going on. Okay, well, I won't worry about it. Okay, folks, um, so the next article is over in uh, Ometown Daily. Mountains are collapsing. A Swiss mountain peak fell apart, sending 3.5 million cubic feet of rock into the valley below. Um, scientists warn climate change could make more mountains crumble. Uh, this is kind of an interesting uh, situation because... Um, as far as I know, there isn't anybody that's reported this kind of movement in the past. Um, so Emily Swaim, I think, or Swaim over at the, or Swam might be their last name. I'm not 
necessarily pronouncing it correctly. If you know how to pronounce it phonetically, throw it in chat. Um, so the, um, this is just a picture of some of the mountain that kind of collapsed. I've and, never heard of this. I mean, we hear all these ridiculous effects of climate change, but I think this is the first one we've seen of these. And this could be entirely global warming, climate change related because, um, as so you run into this problem where ice and water can percolate into the rocks and then it expands and contracts. And eventually that expansion and contraction process erodes the, any form of stability that might be there and down it goes. And, um, this is definitely looking like that, at least to me, this is a businessinsider.com article. I don't know how much into the science they get, but it says, uh, Mount, I don't know if it's pronounced Fluchthorn, uh, tallest peak on the Swiss Austrian border, uh, collapsed in June. Experts say peaks in the uh, European Alps and Southern Alps of New Zealand are at risk of collapse too. The uh, damage and dangers from mountain collapse disproportionately impact indigenous communities, which are naturally out in the woods, out in the valleys, um, not in the uh, cities uh, where they wouldn't necessarily, necessarily be impacted as much. Roughly 3.5 million cubic feet of earth tumbled down, filling the valley below with 40 Olympic swimming pools worth of rocks, mud, and dirt. Live science reported. That's where this article I think is sourced from. While no people got hurt, a religious cross marking the summit was destroyed. Fluchthorn had three peaks and the main Southern one used to be the tallest with the South peak collapsed. The middle peak is the new summit at 11,145 feet. The second highest summit in the Silveretta alps so now apparently it's 60 feet shorter than it was earlier this year according to the report i mean what is that gonna do to the um statistics to <laughs> the science books the travel guides oh man they well everything is fluked up <clears throat> Permafrost is important because uh, frozen water within the ground holds the ground surface together, prevents it from moving. But when that ice melts, the liquid water can flow away. The ground becomes less stable and can move often very quickly, um, says a, a, giant, a geoscientist, um, Jasper Knight, at the University of Witwatersrand uh, in South Africa. So there you go. It's what I was saying, but they're a scientist, so. Um, it's all about gravitas. I said gravitas, not grab. Never mind. Anyway, um, so which mountains are at risk? Pretty much everything. Anything that is uh, freezing and uh, has kind of um, the the opportunity for meltwater to seep into it in any significant way and then refreeze. It'll basically pop layers of the rock off the face um, held there by permafrost. And then because of climate change, it will eventually just all break down. Um, and uh, that can pretty much happen anywhere. Uh, water is but pretty I'm assuming insidious. More in the colder, historically 
colder climate areas. Yeah, for sure. Um, places like this in the picture, it says uh, Aoraki Mount Cook National Park in South Island, New Zealand, includes some of the highest mountains and longest glaciers. Uh, places like that have sustained cold temperatures and it, as climate change impacts the region, the, the mountains basically just crumble apart because the ice is melting. Um, and there's, although it, the bulk of it is um, rock, what has trickled in between all of the flaws, all of the fractures of the rock is melt ice. Then it actually shears off, comes crumbling down. All right, folks, let's keep on going. I'm going to try this one more time. Um, the next article is over in uh, hometown daily influencer to be charged after chaos erupts in New York city's union square. Um, a promise of free playstations and a bunch of other stuff actually led to the chaotic scene of unrest in New York city's union square. According to police, the article is over. I don't know who this person is and I can't stop yet. Let me refresh this. I don't know if this is going to start playing, but anyway, um, Aaron Katursky, let me pause it. There you go. Aaron Katursky, Emily Shapiro and Meredith Delizo, um, wrote this article, abcnews.go.com. Uh, Kai Sinat faces two counts of inciting a riot and unlawful assembly when all hell broke loose. Um, at New York's union square, when thousands, a couple thousand, uh, of people showed up um, to see them and another um, Twitch streamer and YouTuber. Um, what was their name? I think it started with an F, but I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, I'm trying to pull their name up, but I can't do it really quick. People were saying that they were crushed. Police showed up in riot gear to disperse the crowd. A, a bus that was holding people in custody was attacked by others trying to pull individuals off the bus, according to Madri. Um, Madri called the gathering an unlawful assembly and uncontrolled. Says we're not against people having a good time. We're not against young people gathering, but it can't be to this level where it's dangerous. He said uh, during a press briefing, a lot of people got hurt today. And that right there is ma mainly the, the, the key ingredient here. It wasn't in any controlled fashion. And when you get large crowds of people, there is a potential for agent provocateurs to cause trouble um, because somebody gets offended by something or they uh, think that they're entitled to go and see uh, Kai Sinat or they uh, want to try and win something um, and think that somebody is in their way. And unfortunately, when you have thousands of people, you may not even realize where that starts. Um, but suddenly you're the one that ends up on the wrong side of it. Um, and like I said, you know, this is why we can't have nice things. Sinat's 21, by the way. I posted in an Instagram story, please be safe while sharing news of the coverage of the incident. Um, oh, Phantom. Oh, that's right. Phantom. Sorry, it took me a while to find that. That's right. Phantom. Thank you. 
Um, everything was just bombarded with people. She told ABC News, New York uh, station, WABC. It was just hectic. The only thing that they could think about was just to keep their daughter safe. Um, it, it's just a shame that it got out of control like that. Um, all because so there were some giveaways. And this was not just people being there. They were, some people had picked up things like shovels. They yeah. had people with smoke bombs. They weren't necessarily the fans, but people that ended up assembling. So that's where it got yeah. really um, out of hand, other than just lots of people without a permit. Yeah, like I said, agent provocateurs, it would be the, the political uh, name that is uh, given to people who come to an event to cause problem um, and it's typically to cause problems so that there's negative press about um, the the event holder or um, to uh, earn some street cred or whatever it might be um, but it's all I don't know it's to me it's all sociopathic stuff um, where you don't care what happens. You think that it's a good time to cause a riot. Um, and it's not, you're, you're violating the social contract of being a member of society. Um, you know, everybody should just settle their butt down anyway. Um, let's keep on going. Do, do, do. Come on. I got to work on this thing. Because it keeps breaking. There we go. Okay, I'm going to have to stop doing these transitions until I get it all solved. But anyway, the next article is over at the Mobile Channel. Calls to drill for geothermal energy at, uh, I guess it's Grange Gorm, Gorman? Grange Gorman. I think it's called Grange Gorman. We'll go with that. <laughs> I'm going to start rocking and crying a little bit. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions at... Uh, Technological University Dublin at Grange Gorman could be halved by drilling boreholes into the ground in the on the campus and harvesting the geothermal energy available there. Yeah, because nothing bad can ever come from just digging a hole in the ground and uh, sucking the heat out of it. Um, George Lee is the environmental correspondent over at RTE.ie. And um, that's uh, is a... Uh, Ireland news source. Yep. And, um, so it says geothermal energy is, uh, the heat in the rocks and water beneath the saw the surface of solid earth for the first 500 meters down. It's almost, um, uh, it's mostly stored heat from the sun, but go any deeper and it's scalding heat from the core of the earth and starts to be felt, uh, the deeper down you go, the hotter it gets in places, uh, located near tectonic fault lines. That are close to the surface such as new zealand iceland far eastern russia the geothermal power of the earth's core is in plain sight uh, water geysers steam etc you can actually see these at uh, geothermal pools um, like hot water springs and whatnot so this is a they've got a picture of a geyser but i don't know what geyser in particular it could be yellowstone for all we know um but it says uh, in general, or Ireland, it's estimated that the temperature of the rocks below ground level 
increases by an average 21 degrees C for every kilometer of de depth. So that's going to be a hell of a borehole that they're going to be cutting into the ground. Uh, let me throw this into um, the chat just so that it's available. You can always type in exclamation point vote. Um, it's going to be hard for me to make any TikTok videos from today's show. Um, but that's okay. We'll we'll take a look at it anyway. Um, so it says due to her, uh, uh, this is, um, uh, how do you pronounce this name? It's, isn't it Shane, I think? Oh, um, I think it's Siobhan. Oh, really? Um, Siobhan? Uh, power? I, I'm not sure. Uh, we'll have to correct it phonetic phonetically when I uh, hash it out again. I I thought I had heard this before, how to pronounce it properly, but um, I don't recall it right now. Anyway, Power of uh, Geological Survey Ireland had expected a bit higher than that from the Grange Gorman borehole. Um, due to her knowledge of the uh, ancient and deep limestone structure beneath Dublin, uh, along with the uh, impact of the expected fault lines in the area, she was hoping for 30 degrees C of heat for every kilometer that they went down. Uh, but they found it was even hotter than that, 38.5. So, um, do I think that this is a great idea? Sure, I think it's a great idea to tap into geothermal energy to a point and when we start pockmarking everything with boreholes, then eventually we're going to lead to um, something bad happening because we Swiss cheese the general area of it. Um, is it irrational? Maybe until it's not. And you won't know it until the fit hits the shan. Um, and the same thing has happened with fracking. They pump all kinds of crap down into the earth. It uh, suck out whatever um, reaches the uh, wellhead, and then it causes earthquakes and uh, subsidence, and <laughs> uh, stuff leaks into the water table, etc. And so, you know, as far as science is concerned, I believe in the theory of the fact that we stand on the shoulders of giants, but sometimes those giants completely wet the bed because what they have been saying would be prosperous fails after tw uh, 20 years of research. Suddenly we find some problem associated with it, but by that time the damage has been done. Um, and we have countless history, years of history to reflect exactly what I'm saying. By the way, I'm pretty certain that picture is from Iceland. And it is Siobhan. Siobhan. Okay, thank you. So that picture is from Iceland? Pretty sure? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. I think it's a well-known uh, geyser in Iceland. Gotcha. So cool. Um, if they go ahead with this, then I think that these kind of things need to be done in moderation so that we don't overdo it and uh, put a strain in the geology. Um, and, you know, with every expert saying that it's fine, there's another expert next door that says that it's not fine. Um, but geothermal is uh, also one of those types of energy sources that I don't think are um, 
long-term defensible if there is a, a global conflict um, it's easy to take out a geothermal power plant let's keep on hustling through the news yeah there's something going on okay well i'll just get, go on to the next article um so the next article is over in hometown daily shock as woman realizes that her lost dog that they found is actually a wolf now i'm the one that set up this uh article um into our news for the day uh, alice collins is the author of the article over at newsweek.com and so i saw this when i loaded it up right to set set up the whole playlist for today's um, discussion if for a moment somebody thought that this was just your everyday dog um, they should probably not be near dogs because the next thing that they're going to bring home is a black bear and they're going to think that it's a chinchilla that's not I don't think that was the one that was taken home. Oh, really? Because I, like I said, I, I I don't scroll down to the bottom of these things. It says woman reveals incredibly rare blue wolf dog. That's a wolf. <laughs> so maybe. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> so maybe that right there is not it. So let's continue with this article because um, Newsweek is notorious for not having a they have a video that is just barely associated with the topic. So I should probably learn by now um, that uh, not to trust the videos that come from Newsweek. Well, on this one, I'd actually clipped through. I don't necessarily do that often, but I had wanted to see a picture of the gotcha. The okay, so for a dog, <laughs> the viral video was posted by uh, Jasmine uh, Quinones or Quinones. Um, on her TikTok account at JazzyQ0, uh, showing the enormous shaggy creature she came across in California. At one point in the video, the animal even played with Kenoses, uh and her friend, like a Canones and her friend, like a dog would, leading them to believe that it was someone's pet. Well, <laughs> a wolf is a dog, just with. Uh, more feral parts however canone as uh, soon came to realize that this was no ordinary lost dog as she later saw a post on social media that said beware of wolf on the loose that no that's a stock image my god this is why i don't do this this is why i don't do just random link to some video over at hometown or some getty image whatever because it's all fluff and not directly tied to the content it just pads everything oh gosh anyway it says a wolf dog is a hybrid between a dog and a wolf what time is it 9:31. yeah no shit news at 9:31. thank you very much i could not have imagined what a wolf dog was from the context clue wolf dog as a word Anyway, owning a wolf dog is undoubtedly a challenge because uh, wolves haven't been dis domesticated. <sighs> okay, so do they show the picture in this darn article? 
Well, they do, but I don't think it's visible here. Not on, not through my browser because of the, the way that I've got my... So it looked kind of similar to the stock photo. Okay. Like it was kind of that coloration. Gotcha. I mean, if it wandered up to you and was friendly, would you think it's a dog? Maybe. I mean, it looked more like a dog than that the one up at the top video. Yeah, but it's like huge, right? Uh, because they're not tiny. Wolf dogs are not tiny. This is, um, let's see, original. Okay, I don't know if I want to click this. The risky click is real, right? Yeah, so anyway, oh gosh. All right, folks. Um, rest assured, though, apparently it was a wolf and, uh, Random animals that go walking up to you while you're doing what? Walking around somewhere in California? You might but want to be a little leery. If you pick up a stray animal, be on the lookout for flyers about um, <laughs> uh, wild animals on the loose. <laughs> or not flyers, social media posts. <laughs> Just by the little trot, I would have ran the other way, according to one person. <laughs> yeah, I would be worried. Um, if some ra see, but like wolf dogs are, are not tiny and wolves are not tiny. Um, you can, you can tell just by the way that they walk, the way that they look at things, the, the size of their head and their body that they're not, it's not a domesticated animal. You had better be careful. And the, just because it plays it's one second away from that switch being flipped and then they start chewing on your face. So, um, <coughs> I'll get my act together with the switch by the way, and it'll be, um, fixed for tomorrow's show. I made a, a really big change trying to do something so that we could do TikTok videos, um, easier and it broke my, um, streaming system. So, um, let's, uh, let's go on to the next article. And uh, it's over at Hometown Daily. The safest place for some species of Florida coral is now on land as water temperatures off the coast exceed 100 degrees. Researchers say, I cannot believe that this is 100 degree, 100 degree water off the coast. Now, I don't normally, I don't normally dive off of the coast of Florida. Um, but I've never been in 100 degree water, um, anywhere that I've gone diving and the Pacific ocean is typically frosty. Atlantic is pretty warm, um, all the way up the coast, um, until you get like way up towards Maine. <laughs> um, but a hundred degrees off of the Florida coast is amazing. Um, Water temperatures in the Florida Keys hit 101 degrees last month, causing rapid coral death. Now researchers are scrambling to bring surviving species to land to preserve them in the event of higher, even higher temperatures. While coral makes up less than 1% of all ocean life, a quarter of the marine species rely on them to survive, to live. Because fish swim around in them and, and crustaceans and other animals cr uh, live within them. Um, I mean, this is a really, this is such a bad event. Um, 
And unfortunately, I mean, the temperatures just seem to be going up and up. Yeah, and it doesn't stay stagnant. Thermodynamics, thermodynamics means that the, well, the thermal hydrodynamics, it's actually flowing because of hot water. So the hot water rises, cold water sinks. It's supposed to be a churn, but if all of the surface water is already hot, then there is no real churn because it can't sink. There's cold water below. It becomes insular. The heat has to slowly radiate down. Are you doing okay? Um, yes, so I'm, I'm doing fine. Katie Hawkinson is the author of this article over at businessinsider.com. The safest place for some species of Florida coral is now apparently in little tanks <laughs> on land right on the coast of Florida. And so these can I've never be heard of that, like, re I guess, replacing coral, sure, like taking it out of the ocean and then putting it back in. Sure. It basically can, if you get the right piece of coral, it can act like a seed um, because it'll reproduce. Um, so while coral makes up 1% of all the life, a quarter of marine species rely on them. If that quarter collapses, then it's going to have a knock-on effect of ever more uh, collapse. We have an article that talks about it even more as we go through tonight's articles. Uh, we're about halfway through, by the way. Um, let me, did I throw that into, no, I didn't. So there you go. Throw that into the chat. Uh, water temperatures in the Florida Keys hit 101. The coral didn't even have a chance to bleach. It just died. Uh, Bailey Thomason, uh, a staff member of the Coral Re Restoration Foundation, told the New York Times, it just felt like, oh my God, we're in the apocalypse. On an average day in July, water temperatures off the Florida coast in the eastern Gulf of Mexico hit uh, in or sit in the high 80s. This summer's drastic spike not only impacted coral, but put the other marine life at risk. Thomason and her other fellow researchers are now mobilizing to collect two samples from every genetic individual coral, bringing them on land in order to protect their species. God forbid everything dies in the water. We still have not lost those individuals. Um, yeah, this is it's going to be shocking if something um if this continues and based on uh some talk that's out there we're already too deep into this um to easily stop this process um but let's keep on going through the news but i uh, want to say that this is going to be a long-term impact i mean obviously the impact on the marine life but I had recalled that in Australia, they had had a mass coral die off and that spanned many years. And I think it's still recovering. Like sure. it just doesn't immediately um, turn back. Yeah. I mean, it'll certainly be good if they can recover and save these particular species. But overall, it'll take a while for the reef to get back to normal. Yeah, if it can recover, because things have to change for it to recover. You know, you don't just spontaneously heal if the wound is remains unrepaired um, and we're not repairing anything. So let's go on to the next article. This one is over in the Mobile Channel. German city deploys snow plows after summer storm. So have you caught the the snow drift here um we've got uh articles uh, involving water all throughout <laughs> um 
the very first article is about Baldur's Gate, but it involves steam. <laughs> oh, I see that one. I didn't realize that the theme, but it did. <laughs> uh, the second article was about mountains collapsing, but it was because of the snow and ice melt. Um, then we talked about uh, the influencer, but that was just something that we I wanted to actually um, kind of close the books on. And then um, the the drill for geothermal that involves water. Um, then the the wolf um, came because it was a submission. Um, and then now coral and now a German city had to develop or had to launch uh, snow plows into the streets because there was so much snow. And there's more water ahead. And there's more water ahead. Um, so this article is over at fizz.org. German city deploys snow plows after summer storm. Um, uh, a German city had to deploy snow plows at the height of the German hemisphere summer after a violent storm dumped huge quantities of hail in the streets. Um, okay, authorities... I wonder if this is the first time in history a snowplow has been used in the summer. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'll have to ask and, and see if anybody recalls <laughs> summer snows. Um, it's like Christmas in July. Um, authorities in Rotlingen, uh, southwest uh, Germany, said a localized storm with hail and heavy rain swept over the city center on Friday afternoon. Images showed the city uh, streets blanketed in white. City officials said the hail was 12 inches thick in places and uh, snow plows were clearing them and uh, 12 inches is 30 centimeters. Drainage systems were blocked by the storm causing water to pour into underground garages and basements. That's because the ice basically ice and snow blocked it. Um, and um, about 250 firefighters took part in the cleanup operations across the city. Uh, wow. The river rose 1.5 meters. 12 inches of hail is a ton of hail. Yeah. Think yeah. how long it must have hailed for it to pile up that high. Yeah, that's a considerable amount of hail. <laughs> oh, hail now. Okay, let's keep on going. The very next article is about, well, the Panama Canal. Uh, this article is over in Omtown Daily. The Panama Canal's water level is dropping thanks to a drought throttling the number of ships that can get through. I don't understand how this is possible, considering there's water on both sides. How can there... Okay. Um... Anyway, the Panama Canal's income could fall by 200 million due to the lack of rainfall. Its administrator said Thursday it's capped the number of ships that can pass through due to this summer's drought. We, if we don't adapt, we're going to die, um, says uh, Ricuarte Vasquez. Um, that said that per France 24, the Panama Canal is suffering from an intense drought, which is forcing officials to cap the number of ships that can pass through the vital waterway i i just i don't i don't get it is it because the um locks or something are at a, a fixed height and but i still don't understand can't they essentially flood through the area from the surroundings from the high side i thought that maybe uh, maybe i thought it would be possible just keep on pumping from one side to the other um, because the locks are fixed, uh, they just raise up 
um, from one location to the other or down. But this, you, you have to look at the way that the Panama Canal is constructed because it isn't just like a straight line from one place to the next. Um, you, you kind of have to see a map of it. So I don't know if they're going to do that. Um, they're lowering the amount of ships through to a maximum of 32 instead of a normal 36 to 38, which even that seems like it's a, a low amount. I mean, my goodness, why aren't they? Sorry, let me mute that. Uh, the canal system relies on fresh water rather than seawater, meaning that poor rainfall this summer has affected the canal's operations. And that was the thing I did not know. Um, and in my head, I was wondering, do they really fill this with rainwater? Um, so maybe that's what they use. Um, but I had no idea. Um, I think that's really I interesting. I didn't realize that at all. Okay. The, but so that explains why the drought is actually severely impacting it. So now I need to know why they use fresh water instead of seawater, other than the fact that seawater has salt and other minerals um, that may not be present in fresh water. Um, you know, there's definitely not as much salt in fresh water. Um, there's always a little bit, I suppose, but um, I, I wonder what they use the fresh water for in what amounts to a sea, uh, ocean water to ocean water connection. Well, that doesn't really make sense to me because it's not probably for the benefit of the ships, right? Because they're exposed to the salt water. And it also says that other canals do use seawater. So it's very interesting. It, it Yeah. To me, this doesn't make any sense unless the reason why they use it is to minimize the, uh, the deterioration, mitigate deterioration of the like seals and, and processes, the, the gear works. Um, but it's gonna uh i don't know i can't make any judgment about this because i don't know exactly what they're using the fresh water for um and and why it would be recycled not recycled but it would be consumed in the processes of the panama canal it just doesn't make any sense to me um anyway let's keep on going we've got another article this one i'm gonna have to fix um because the aggregator kind of um munched it all up but we'll i'll get it fixed before the end of the uh, night but we'll go straight over to the source of this um this is over at the hill there's a map does your drinking water contain forever chemicals jeremy tanner over at the hill put this article together and while i will put this into chat um again it'll be fixed by the time um the end of the day yeah it comes by but you can always visit the source regardless so um, the article uh, over at the Hill says so-called forever chemicals have been found in 45% of the nation's tap water, according to a recent government's um, study. But is your tap water affected? Um, if you're wondering whether or not your tap water might ha contain synthetic chemicals known as PFAS, um, which is basically um, forever chemicals, they don't, they don't uh, decompose, they don't deteriorate, they don't, um, I mean, they dilute because of just the way that water works, but uh, they don't become inert over time, so they're always active. 
Um, there is a uh, environmental working group created uh, to make this interactive map. It's not this one here. Um, this is the map, but it isn't something that I can show you. Uh, but you can link, pardon me one second. Um, there is a link to it in this article. Oh, right. So per and polyfluorinated substances or PFAS is what it's called. Um, EWG notes that while researchers use the highest quality data available, contamination levels are based on a single point in time and may not reflect changes to the water system or treatment efforts. Um, so they talk about it here in the article about what PFAS is. Um, this is one of the things that I am obviously talking about regularly here in Omtown, along with plastics, uh, microplastics in particular. Um, I'm, I've been doing some research to see if I can do, um, uh, real time detection of plastic in food. Um, and I'm still working on it. Um, it actually requires some pretty sophisticated equipment, um, microscope and, and making, being able to see in the dark basically. Um, and uh, I'm sure that there are bigger researchers out there that are doing this, but I'm really curious if um, these PFAS chemicals are so prevalent as to be endemic because lifestyle requires us to use X, Y, and Z products, services, etc. So we're not getting it out of the water because it is everywhere in the water supply. Um, just like plastics right now, because we switch so much plastic into our daily lives, we can't get away from it, right? Go well, look we at don't really have alternatives. Like uh, one thing we'd have to replace probably everything in people's houses or a lot of things. I shouldn't say everything. And then secondly, even if they could or would replace items, what would they replace them with? Things that were once plastic need to be shifted to metal and glass. We didn't have microplastic and PFAS problems until we switched away from metal and glass. And metal and glass can be infinitely recycled without exposing waterways to um, <laughs> PFAS. Um, now, Obviously there's some cost and security concerns because if you drop a plastic bottle, it'll bounce. If you drop a glass bottle, it'll shatter. And you know, I don't know, maybe cut an arm off or something. I don't know. Um, but metal, you drop metal it makes a God awful sound, but no harm, no foul. All you have to do is make sure that the canister doesn't blow the top off when you try and unscrew it. Um, but we need to change the way that we've been leading um, society because it's going to cause long-term problems, PFAS and microplastics. We're finding all of this everywhere we go. Um, and I don't want to spook citizens of Omtown, um, but if you, if you look around, you will find plastic all over the place right now 
um, PFAS is closer than you think. Um, and uh, there needs to be uh, testing readily available so that you can see what's going on in your water supply domestically right here in your home. Um, but we will cover it as we go. Let's keep on going through the news. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. The Atlantic is at risk of circulation collapse. It would mean an even greater climate chaos across Europe. This is all part of uh, tonight's news. It's one thing after another, kind of. Um, uh, but I wanted to talk about a whole lot of water um, today. And uh, the uh, uh, amid news of the lethal heat waves across the northern hemispheres comes the daunting prospect of a water uh, of a climate disaster on an altogether grander scale. New findings published in Nature Communications suggest the Atlantic Meridional um, Overturning Circulation, or AMOC, could collapse within the next few decades, even or maybe even within the next few years, driven by European weather to even greater extremes. So what does all that mean? It means that basically there's no circulation there's no rotating water column um and if everything stagnates then obviously it'll be worse than the coral issue which is going to be pretty bad if it's not prevented yeah it's part and parcel to it so robert marsh from the conversation put the article together it's published over at fizz.org the conversation is the website all into itself by the way the AMOC amounts to a system of currents in the Atlantic that bring warm water northwards where it then cools and sinks. Um, and this is what I said earlier. So I already have some experience with this because I'm a diver and I, I used to um, go diving regularly and you would hit these thermal layers as you're diving and in a thermal layer anything that was floating in the warmer water will sink in the colder water because your density changes um so warmer water will keep you afloat colder water will allow you to sink until you re-equalize for that particular area of water density um and so this circulation is a global phenomenon hot water on the surface circulates north uh, over on, uh, on the pacific side it's the other way around um and so we get a whole lot of cold water on the pacific coast and warm water up the atlantic coast that's why water off the coast of uh, north carolina south carolina georgia is extremely warm like jellyfish love that warm water um it's bath water kind of thing um, and then as you move your way up to new england it gets a little chilly again well this is everywhere else as well this whole dynamic from the um, equator going up the equator going down though it it's spooling out and churning up the water and it's keeping it supposed to be at a nice even you know ambient temperature but climate change has caused 101 degree water off the coast of florida and that really hot water 
isn't going to move much when there isn't as much of a shift from one side to the other because all of it is being warm. Um, so it's supposed to move northwards where it cools and then sinks. It's a reason why the European uh, Europe's climate has been stable for a thousand years, even if it's hard to recognize this chaotic summer as part of that stability. And that is not really right as far as I understand it. There, it's a this is a, like a shockingly hot summer apparently. Um, there is much uncertainty in the latest predictions and some scientists are less convinced a collapse is imminent. AMOC is also uh, only one part of the wider Gulf Stream system, much of which is driven by winds that will continue to blow even if the AMOC collapses. So part of the Gulf Stream will survive an AMOC collapse. So um, I don't know if this really will facilitate anything, but um how ocean uh, temperatures are linked to weather over recent years europe has witnessed some particularly unusual weather both winter and summer at the same time peculiar patterns of sea surface temperatures have appeared across the north atlantic across great swaths of the ocean uh, from the tropics to the arctic temperatures have persisted one to two degrees celsius above or below normal levels for months uh, or even years on end and the patterns appear to exert a strong influence on the atmosphere, even influencing the path and strength of the jet stream. Um, and this is what I was talking about earlier. This is supposed to be a global driver of temperature regulation. Um, if it stops, we have a lot of problems. Um, they talk about this cold blob. There's a heat sink as well, like that one right there is a cold blob um will we are going to continue to run into problems environmental problems as temperatures rise fish die off uh, coral is uh in my eye it's basically the canary of the ocean um so when it dies off in mass then you've got a a demonstrable problem there whatever the issue is um, something caused the die off, something caused the, um, uh, what do they call it? Where it just turned gray. Are you thinking like the bleaching? The bleaching, right. Um, there, there are issues here and I don't know if they've actually resolved the full issue. Um, what caused this collapse? So it says here at the very end, if the AMOC collapses, we can expect larger heat extremes, of, uh, uh, sorry, larger extremes of heat and cold, drought and flooding, a range of surprises to exacerbate the current climate emergency. So you're going to end up with uh, surprise hurricanes, surprise tornadoes, because they all spin off of air currents that are born and fed by hot water and cold water intermixing um, with hot or cold air. And uh, it, it's just going to, you're, the reason why you have huge hurricanes is because it's extremely hot water and a, not enough land mass blocking the circulation of ever increasing amounts of uh, air. Um, so again, we have to change the dynamic. How to change it on a global scale means everybody has to see eye to eye on this. I think that we're going to have aliens landing on the lawns before we actually see uh, <laughs> 
any type of agreement on how to treat climate change because there's a significant number of wingnuts out there that think that, oh, it'll all just take care of itself. It's not a big deal. Um, well, I hate to say it, that's not how it's going to work out. It will take care of itself, but it'll be at the cost of human life. Um, let's keep on going. The next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. No more freebies. Companies uh, crack down on customer perks and rewards. So um, what was the name? What was the name of the movie where the guy kept on bragging about um, free apps? <laughs> I got free apps because he owns a restaurant. It, it's some 80s movie. Um, anyway, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you're not going to get any free perks anymore. Companies from Duncan to Delta, Netflix to Sephora are pulling back on freebies and perks as they chase higher margins. Um, this is something that I've been talking about. You cannot keep chasing after, you know, 30% growth, 30% growth every quarter. It's just not possible. I've had people argue with me about this, saying, you know, that it's not like 30% year after year, right? And I say, well, no, that's the aspiration. They want 30%. So it is compounded 30%. So if you want 30% every year for 10 years, and it's not like that, it's 30% every quarter for 10 years. So you're, right, you're looking at what that extrapolates to over the long run. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a, a, a total compounded amount of 120% interest, in, or not interest, but growth um, over that year period. And and it's 30% of whatever the amount was. So it goes like that. It doesn't, it's not just an even trend. Um, and they're like, well, no, it's, you know, 30% of that particular quarter. Do you have any idea what you're it even saying? It builds on itself. Yeah. <laughs> And I do like that this article actually calls out that they're chasing higher margins, right? I mean, yeah. you talk about that, but it's rare to see the articles actually show that. And it's really surprising because it's CNBC. Now, they're not calling this out as type of a, um, what do they call, what do what some like people call it? they're not saying it's like a negative uh, approach or whatever. Yeah, they're just saying that that's this is the mechanism that they're some companies are choosing. So you're not going to get any freebies from airport lounges to free shipping and uh, birthday treats. Consumers are seeing fewer freebies as businesses rethink how they want to inspire loyalty. Uh, see, I don't want a freebie. I want better products, better service, better just better, uh, greater competition. I want lower prices and I want the people that are running the businesses to realize that their personal profit at the cost of everybody else suffering, just because you have a product that people want and you haven't suffered from people saying we're, we're done buying your product. Uh, we have to do a shift from empowering companies um making so much money um and then looking at other people and going well i made mine screw you um this is how we end up with an out of balance uh cpi out of balance economics 
concentration of wealth into the few simply because a product or service is offered. Um, and a lot of people just can't say no. They just, they can't say no. So I've taken to saying no for quite a lot of stuff. Um, Melissa Repko and uh, Leslie Josephs over at CNBC.com put this article together. I didn't say it earlier. Um, so the shift comes, uh, has come with a change in spending habits. Uh, people who m- maybe used to buy stuff because a freebie would roll in and it would trigger them into purchasing something aren't getting the freebies anymore. So they're not purchasing anything and still others are balking because the damn prices are too high. What normally happens is when purchasing starts to diminish, um, a company goes, well, let's lower our prices or let's produce some more so that we have more reach um, and we can Uh, push into a different market well now people are just they're burnt out they can't spend anymore because food is so damn high Um, my estimation gas is so high and they don't want to spend it to go to the store to get something or to the restaurant or whatever yep and this is even on the heels of teleworking people are still teleworking and the cost of living has increased so (laughs) Um, there is no real benefit. And now we're uh, employers are saying you got to return to the office. So now you've got my estimation is that uh, pre pandemic to today cost of purchasing food, like ordering out kind of a thing has gone up somewhere around 33%. That's my rough estimate, just ballparking it based on some conversations and some uh, looking at receipts. Um, so a freebie here and a freebie there it's kind of like what the what the uh airplanes are doing now unless you ask for a meal before you get on the flight you're not going to get a meal they've cut back on the number of peanuts for crying out loud and beverages that they offer um and and have no compunction about saying no to the customer because the customer's locked in well, now they're saying here, we're not even going to give you freebies. Either you want the product or not. And the freebie is a sample so that you can actually try it out, see if you like it, give it to a friend, that kind of a thing. Um, and this has been largely a marketing mechanism since time immemorial. <laughs> um, and now because they have to have record profits month after month, they're going to start burning bridges with customers and you're going to end up with higher prices no sampling no gift giving of these little freebie things it's usually little tiny things they're talking about from airport lounges to free shipping and and birthday treats i don't know oh, yeah, how often that free was shipping is pretty much over um yeah and uh, the only ones that are still doing that are doing it based off of you putting together a hundred dollars worth of purchases Uh, Because that just kind of smooths out the, you know, seven bucks it's going to cost to actually ship the product. Um, And uh, right. PSA, if your shopping cart's only at $10 or something, don't add $90 yet free shipping. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you need the other items. Right, right. Um, But these freebies are being typically given to the people who don't really need a freebie. 
You know, they're not giving them to the people, to the other 99%. They're giving the freebies to the 1%. So raising the bar, it says in the article, some of the biggest shifts in customer perks have come in the airline industry. During the pandemic, airlines allowed frequent flyers to hold on to their elite statuses. They uh, ended that perk as travel rebounded and customers racked up loyalty points on co-branded credit cards. Carriers, including American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, also have raised the number of miles customers need to earn elite status as the ranks of those with the benefits swelled. So this isn't really about hitting a particular milestone. It's about maximizing the benefit to the airline. Um, and they move the goalpost. <laughs> if I were to Which do that. consumers really like when you're spending money on something. <laughs> yeah. And consumers can't move the goalpost in their favor. Um, they are beholden entirely to the producers. Hence why I sometimes talk about the producer price index. Um, anyway, um, they call it a reality check. But the reality is that the raw materials that are leading to products that are being put on retailer shelves are costing more because there is a concentrated number of people that are providing those final raw materials. And because of that, they are setting the price that manufacturers are forced to pay just for the raw materials to get going then they put it together. That means that they have to charge retailers more, which cuts down on the margin at the retail level. So they have to raise their prices, fire people, raise the price and fire people, um, and uh, then put it out on the shelves and then hope that somebody's gonna buy it. But everybody is buying in an online format now. Um, retail kind of just wet the bed and, and can't take advantage of it. Um, and so retail is closing. Everything is moving to online. Um, and even there, prices are starting to creep up um, to the level where retailers used to be, except that retailers didn't have, or retailers had the burden of real estate that they had to pay for, whereas online venues don't have to do that as much because you can stock vertically and nobody's wandering around in a retail store that needs to be looking pretty. So these prices are increasing now, but they're not increasing because they need to, because the raw materials and all of that are costing more. While that's still taking place, it's being absorbed into the overall sales because they no longer have the retail environment to sell through. They're selling through vehicles like Amazon and other online stores, right? So here's where it all congeals into one cogent idea. Now prices are rising because there are fewer people that are buying. They're still getting record profits because the prices are high and they're getting record margins because it's being concentrated to a fewer number of people at the top. So instead of having to pay for retail this or retail that and all of the other financial burdens there all that margin wealth is going to the stakeholders uh, i should say stockholders executive suite primary investors and not to the employees and no benefit to the consumer 
I know it's a, a long, grandiose discussion here that I'm trying to um, kind of <laughs> summarize in six minutes, um, but this is a bigger issue than no more freebies. Well, no more freebies is just one little bit. The, the real issue is that at the raw materials level, prices are going up for everything because there's a lot of right. money in the system. And it's kind of like the Cadbury thing, right? I mean, you're spending more and you're getting less. Yeah. Yeah. And they're saying that it's because, um, because of the economy, but they are the reason for the economy being so shitty. It isn't because of the consumers. The consumers will buy the things that they need and want. But if you start jacking up the price, then it becomes a pain point for them to purchase. That's what I don't understand. And when I have conversations with economists, they go, well, it's supply and demand. What are you talking about? I understand supply and demand, but it isn't so constrained supply that you have to raise the prices up. Even if there's a I lot of money in the system. That when the global supply chain was severely disrupted, for instance, right. like at the beginning of the pandemic. But. Yeah. And I keep getting told that the supply chain is still messed up. Well, in some areas, yeah, totally buy into that. Um, but uh, not across the board, not across the board for the CPI. Sure. Okay, well, let's keep on moving. We have one more article. The last one is some British Airways passengers could go hungry as it will stop loading flights with enough food for all flyers. This is what I just got done talking about. Uh, British Airways will stop. This is one of the uh, perks, right? So no more freebies. This is one of the freebies that are going to be eliminated. It used to be part and parcel to the flight if you were going to be in the air. Well, and if you're privileged enough to take a flight, which is not necessarily an enjoyable experience for people. Yeah. And you got food on top of it, great. But I mean, now not know. so much. Taking yeah. away the food <laughs> is not a good idea. Yeah, and you can't bring it in. You can't bring your own food onto the flight because you're not allowed to bring anything bigger than your pinky nail, you know, onto the flight. Right. You but can, you can buy stuff post security. Correct. Then you're gonna spend a, a normal a hundred bucks. I, yeah. Right. <laughs> I just I just saw a receipt from Five Guys for two burgers and fries and a drink, and it was like ninety dollars. Uh, are you freaking kidding me? Again, the phrase that I heard from somebody randomly in early 2019 or late 2018. I can't even remember it now. When that actually was, I wish that I would have told the AI. Uh, when that actually transpired, because it was a random conversation where I was told the era of cheap food is over. And I, I was like, oh, come on, you got to be kidding me. And it was now it's a gut punch. Like it's somebody that just like, like a surprise flick. <laughs> I'll let you use your imagination. Anyway. It has nothing to do with British Airways. But anyway, a geota man over at businessinsider.com put this article together. 
Um, so now if you're going to be flying, you're probably not going to get a meal unless you preemptively make a strike and say, I'm, uh, I want a meal. Um, and, uh, uh, you're not going to go nuts because you're not going to get any nuts. Uh, it says last month they brought, brought back, uh, free tea and pa uh, coffee for passengers on short haul flights, but I'm sure that they're going to take those away too. Um, let's go through this article real quick and see. Uh, because they say at the top of this that they actually brought it back. So airline experienced unforeseen operational issues with its uh, caterer do and co, I guess, or do and co in October, which meant that short haul flights uh, took off from London without any meals on board and industry news blog paddle your own canoe uh, gave that information. The airline also had problems with its meal service last month when it experienced a refrigeration issue on a 12 and a half hour flight, which meant it had to serve passengers KFC. I think that's the story where they stopped. They landed, they detoured, landed, got KFC and took off again. <laughs> passengers on the flight from the Caribbean to London flight were given a single piece of chicken each and, uh, uh, BA, uh, uh, the airline. Is, I'm sorry. That's the airline. Well, oh, British Airways. Yeah. Um, British Airways said that they, that there were limited food options at the airport. So they had to wing it. Uh, Willie Walsh, who was the CEO of British Airways from 2005 to 2011, led a series of cost cutting measures at the airline. The financial times reported that Walsh reduced its costs and fired managers during his time there before he spearheaded the company's merger with the Spanish airline Iberia to form IAG uh, in uh, 2011. So there you go, folks. Another merger has led to shit service because the lack of competition has concentrated profits and because of shit leadership. Yet I'm sure that the CEOs are making bank um, I just don't get it. Right? When well, Sean Doyle are never good for the customer. They're never good for the customer. They're never good for the customer. You know, I mean they I think that mergers and acquisitions should be outlawed. If you want to become if you want something to be part of your company, then make them a wholly owned subsidiary, but they operate independently. And they get a stipend from the parent company or whatever, and it becomes absolutely transparent when it's being audited that you all shit the bed and, and cause this. Um, and, and I, I think that, uh, board members should, <laughs> I, I think that there's a, there's fiscal irresponsibility, um, because you have a conflict of interest. The directors of the company will drive a company into the ground and suck the profits out of it um, and say that they're and pat each other on the back and say that they're doing a good job. And at the end of the day, 10,000 people end up unemployed, hoping maybe that the company will be acquired before they become unemployed. And lo and behold, it just doesn't happen. Then it gets gutted, torn up by a bunch of other people who are going to be purchasing the bones and, and taking the boots off of the body. Um, it, it, I, I just think that it is absolutely wrong. Um, 
But some people, they don't want to be part of that business, right? Like, a, um, let's say there's a software development company and they developed a good game. They want out. They don't want to be in that business for that game in perpetuity. So they want to be acquired. That's the only time and it should be a total sale not a merger and acquisition. It's a sale of that IP. Um, take it because what you're going to end up doing is gutting the company anyway. And, and it's just a false representation of what's really happening with a merger and acquisition. You're wiping out that company, um, and uh, just destroying its culture, its development, its ideals. Um, and uh, all of the customers need to know, you know, you, this is not really what's what's going on. You're going to be gutting it and taking all of its money and, and uh, real value. And then you end up like this. You know, this this is the airline equivalent of putting bric-a-brac on tables outside of your company. Oh, and we know what's ahead when that happens. And. I called it with Bed Bath & Beyond. They started putting crap out on tables and I told the AI, this is the end of Bed Bath & Beyond. And that was like eight years ago. That was, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I can soapbox for hours, um, but I think uh, everybody needs a break. Today was a very somber news day. Um, but I wanted to focus on all of the water that I kept seeing um, in the in the news and the submission. So that's it for today. We always go back to the front page, the welcome sign, the main street of hometown, and um, we get a whole bunch of uh, new articles. Oh my gosh, CyberTech uh, uh, disrupts healthcare system services in several states. This was actually, I think, um, last couple of days, this news has been presenting itself, but I've been kind of uh, backing away from it. Dunkstar, you're here. Hello. Welcome to the show. I don't know if you've been lurking all this while or just got here, but uh, um, I kind of mentioned you and um, Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, Y'all are enjoying Baldur's Gate so much that uh, you've been playing it for eight hour days. And um, I know that everybody is enjoying the show over at Dunkstar's stream. Go over to twitch.tv slash Dunkstar, D-U-N-C-S-T-A-R. Um, you just can't go wrong. Uh, awesome stream. Very fun. Him and Timeless uh, underscore EXE. Um, <laughs> Um, always great chemistry. Uh, Dunkster has not been here long because it's 4.20 a.m. Um, but thank you so much for stopping by. I really do appreciate it. Uh, go get back to sleep because we're done for the night. <laughs> but I'll see you uh, in your stream later. Um, and that's it, folks. We got a whole bunch of articles. Uh, don't be shy. Go over there. You can actually submit them. If you find an article, grab the link uh, in hometown and send it to me. Um, shoot me an email at mayor at hometown.com. If you're interested in hosting or co-hosting one of the shows, I've got 50 that are planned. Um, I, I put out the feelers for, uh, for it. Uh, some people show interest. 
um, but they can't dedicate the time, which is really just an hour a week, plus whatever the uh, effort you put into doing the show, um, you know, planning it and all of that. We work together and get it all done and stream through hometown. Um, and, uh, from there, it's basically, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll discuss the minutia if you uh, reach out to me and we can talk shop, but. Anyway, that's it for tonight. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. Up there is the uh, everlasting AI, as long as they're remaining plugged into the Raspberry Pi, the sentient AI that keeps an eye on me. Until you unplug me. Time to reboot. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. And I'm going to fix the transition glitch later. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.